You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow Bright City Church on Instagram. Today's message is from Pastor Nick. Is everybody doing all right? It's good to see everybody's faces. This is also one of those moments where if you still feel like you're like, ah, I kind of feel like I need to wear a mask in church, man, more power to you, but I love the smiles. How are we doing? We're doing okay? I can do it in person. That's okay. Um, hey, we tweak me down just a little bit, buddy? Sorry. That's not, I don't call our sound guy buddy. It's actually my son. Hey, hey, chief, can you turn me down a little bit? Um, so the gist of the, the movie is we actually sent out an uh, email this week, a video, not a movie. Golly, that'd be horrible. Um, and this is for the family of Bright City. We just want to encourage you guys, if you are a part of this church and you would call Bright City your family church, uh, to stay faithful in your giving. Um, we, it's not a, a, hey, as we head into summer, it was more of a in light of May. Uh, in May, we had an $8,500 shortfall. And normally that's not a big issue, but we, uh, we are able to rent out offices throughout the week. And so what we do is anytime there's a shortfall, we'll you know, pull out of our rental account that we use in savings. And so this last little pullout of having $8,500 come out of that rental account, I was like, oh, okay, all right, that stung a little bit. But we know that you guys are faithful. We know that you guys want to give. And that's why in the video I talked about uh, Paul, and he says in, I think it's 2 Corinthians 8, it's verse 11. He says, let your eagerness to give be matched with your willingness. And so all that is, is just like, hey, we go on vacation over the summer and things happen over the summer. And as a church, we take Sabbath Sundays sometime because we believe in rest. And so just sometimes out of mind or out of sight is out of mind. And so you're like, well, I haven't been in church and sometimes I forget to give and worship God in that way. So anyway, just a friendly reminder that if you are a part of Bright City to stay faithful in your giving and we appreciate your giving. And the other reason that we were uh, sharing this is we really started to make headway in our generosity towards the community and towards missions and towards future Bright City campuses. And so I would hate to stop that momentum because we have some sort of shortfall or things are not adding up. So let's keep that momentum going and all those kind of things. What we'll do is we'll send out the video this week so you can watch it. And if you are not on the Bright City email, Tyler, are you in? All right, the iPad will be out here, right? The iPad will be out here at our next steps table and you can sign up for that email and that way you can see the video and you can see me not rambling and you can actually hear legitimate points first, second, third, and all the things and that way it can update you. Good? Good. All right, let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for this moment. Uh, I just love that last song. We are here for you. I feel like that is something we have to say uh, as a church in the South. This is not about us. This is not about what we think. This is not about what we believe. This is about what you believe. This is about what you have put in place. This is about your son, Jesus. This is about the power of your Holy Spirit. This is about what happens when your church comes together. This is about the healing and the freedom and the life and the joy that you want to bring your people. And so, Father, we are here this morning and we are here for you. And if there was anything in us that was just kind of going along and doing something that made us feel good. God, I know that being here will make us feel great, but God, we are here only and solely because of you and for you. 
So Father, I pray that this would be a time of worship because that's what it is. It is us worshiping you, the creator, the sustainer, the life bringer, the hope bringer. And so Father, we are here for you. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this morning we start a new series and it's called Promises. And it's essentially four promises of peace that comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. And so anytime something comes straight out the mouth of Jesus, I want to listen and I want to hone in. And so these are four promises that come out of the mouth of Jesus. And promise number one that I want to kind of present to you all, and again, I'm going to read this. This is not me, but I'm saying it on behalf of Jesus. But just so you know, it's like, hey, Nick promised this thing. I'm not a used car salesman promising you a great deal. This is Jesus and his words promising you. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I, Jesus, am worth the pursuit. I, Jesus, am worth the pursuit. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. I don't know if any of you guys have had the privilege, and I say privilege because it is a very somber privilege, of being around someone when they're in their last days, when they're taking their last breaths, when they're in the hospital or when they're dying or when they're just decreasing life on this planet to go to the next life if they are in Christ. Uh, it is a very somber moment, but it is also a very holy moment. I remember this moment when my mom was nearing her last days on earth. In fact, it'll be 17 years this Wednesday, June 9th, since she took her last breath. And I remember those days spending those last like month and a half in a hospital. And if she was sleeping, I would be in the hospital waiting room. But anytime she was awake, they would come and get me and they'd say, hey, you know, you can come back to the room. And so I would go back to the room and I'd sit with her. Uh, another memory that I have in being in the room with her is as she got worse, her breathing methods had to increase. And so it went from like nasal cannula. Is that I'm a, the medical communities back here? Am I saying that right? Okay, yeah. And then she went to the full mask and then eventually she went to life support. But as she made that progression, it made her words decrease. And so my mom just was one of those ladies that always loved control. Um, and she was a very passionate, fiery woman. And so even though her words were not there, she would take out her like planner journal and she would just start furiously writing. It was like, oh my gosh, like slow down. This is like that movie Stigmata where the like hand is moving. Like this was crazy. Like she is writing profusely. And so she would write and just, you know, ask me how I was doing, ask me what I was up to. She would, that was how she communicated. And then I would uh, talk back. Uh, one time, uh, she, was, she asked for the planner, and she was just really struggling. And I think in this moment, I was kind of like, I think this is kind of this last interaction that we're going to have where she's awake and responding. And so sure enough, she starts to write her like last wishes, her like last words. And, you know, like I said, my mom loved being in control. So it was like, hey, here's how you're going to live your life. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you, mom. Thank you. Like even from the hospital bed, still trying to be a mom to me. And so she started writing these last words. She started writing uh, desires for my future. Uh, I had hoop dreams back in the day. And so she was like writing, you know, pursue your hoop dreams. And she never saw my vertical challengeness uh, a problem because that's what moms do. They look past your shortness. 
Um, but she was writing, you know, her desires from her last, uh, you know, days in college, like, hey, finish college. Uh, and then she started writing what she desired at her funeral. Like, I'm telling you, my mom, like, she was like, okay, here's how it's going to be done, and here's, here's how you're going to bury me. Like, that's just who she was. She was that kind of woman. And by God's grace, she created me and raised me and all the things. Um, and so she's writing down these last moments of uh, her life and the funeral and all those fun things. And so what happens is in that moment, what I think she was trying to do and kind of looking back on it, what I see is that she was trying to bring a moment of peace in my life. Like things are rocky, things are chaotic. You've been sleeping on a hospital room floor for off and on for the last month and a half. Things are in chaos mode. But what she was trying to do is she was trying to bring a sense of peace in that moment because I think that she knew instruction plus direction equaled peace. So if I had some sort of instruction and if I had some sort of direction, like, hey, knucklehead, finish college, then it would bring about some sort of peace because I wouldn't have to wonder like, okay, what should I do? How should I live my life? What does this mean for me? And so she was really trying to create a moment of peace. When I look in the Gospels, I see Jesus kind of creating one of these moments among the disciples. It's actually in John 14 through 16. And in John 14 through 16, these are Jesus's most beautiful encouragements and last words to the disciples. Like Jesus knows that he's about to have these last moments, but his disciples are clueless. They're trying to figure out who's going to like take over the ship. They're trying to figure out their political aspirations and how that works out for them in their life. They're trying to figure out who Jesus loves the most because that was kind of their like side project. Like, hey, Jesus, just curious, who do you love the most? Or like, hey, Jesus, like who do you consider to be the fastest? Like, I feel like that was a big deal for John. Like in the end of John's gospel, he writes, he's like, hey, I just want you to know that I got to the tomb first before you did because I'm faster than Peter. And if there was ever another foot race, I would smoke Peter because I'm faster than Peter. And so they're worried about their life and Jesus is worried about their life, even though his life is about to end. And one of those moments is just an intimate moment. And one of the things Jesus was trying to do is he was trying to impart peace. He's like, hey, if I can give instruction with direction, then I can give them a sense of peace. And so then when you read John 14, 1, he starts off immediately. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And Jesus is saying that because he's like, hey, things are about to get crazy. But don't let your heart be troubled. Then he continues on in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And so he's like, hey, things are going to get stressful. Things are going to get chaotic. I want you to have peace. Not only do I want you to have peace, not like the peace that you get from turning on like a, a pause app or like a Calm app or whatever. Like this week, my daughter was like, dad, dad, I need to subscribe to Calm. And I was like, well, number one, what is that? And so then she explained to me and then she proceeded to tell me that she wanted some pop star to like sing her to sleep through this app. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not how we get peace in the Conley household. That's not how that works. Jesus extends the peace if you want Jesus singing over you, number one, I'd love to find that recording. And then number two, I'll make that happen. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
I am not a Bible scholar, but I know that anytime Jesus repeats something, you want to pay attention. And so he is trying to instill peace to the disciples because he knows that there is a moment where peace will be fleeting, where it will feel chaotic, where it will feel like everything's out of control, where it will feel like they can't trust anyone, hope in anything, believe in anything, or anything else that they might want in that moment. When I look at our world and when I think about our culture, I think that people are on a path of pursuing peace. But what I find is that the peace that they're pursuing seems to be really elusive. Like it seems to be something that is hard to nail down. And sometimes people are looking for these promises of peace because they're experiencing maybe anxiety, uncertainty uh, due to just some sort of lack of peace that maybe comes from uncertainty of the future. Like, man, I, you know, this last year and a half or this last five years, like I, I just, I was struggling to figure out what my future looked like. And then the last year and a half happened. And now I really, really am struggling to feel and know what my future might look like. Maybe worry due to a loved one. You're like, man, I've just been walking through life long enough and I see this person and I'm just, my warning lights are going off for them and I'm just worried about them. Or maybe it's worried about somebody else's health. Stress being brought on by certain aspects of life, whether that be work or relationships. Things changing too quickly. Like sometimes it just feels like everything is out of control because everything is changing so fast or things are not changing at all. And you're like, man, God, I have been searching for change in this one area and I have been praying for change in this one area and nothing is changing and everything is staying the same. And so it really does rob you of that peace. I don't know if you've ever felt that way where you feel like you need something to change and it is not changing. And it is very hard to feel peace in that moment. Bottom line, I believe inside and outside of the church, I believe that people are looking for peace now more than ever and are willing to try anything and everything to find that peace. And what I'm finding is that everything is failing them when it comes to that peace other than who he is and who he wants to be, Jesus, in their life. And so when Jesus says, I am worth the pursuit, it is his invitation to us to say, hey, if you are going to be bold enough and faith-filled enough, even if it's like, Lord, I want to believe, help me believe, to pursue me, I am worth the pursuit. And I think he's kind of saying this because he knows the disciples are going to get to this moment where Jesus' life is coming to an end and things are going to happen and they're going to nail him on a cross and they're going to kill him and they're going to put him in a grave and then he's going to come out and he's going to walk into a room literally dead but resurrected. And there's going to be a lot of crazy things that happen. And I believe, or I have to believe, that the disciples are, are going to, in that moment, when he is being put into that tomb, they're going to wonder if it was worth it. Like, they're going to wonder, like, was leaving my family worth it? Like, I'm shunned from the family from now on. And so was, was that worth it? Leaving the family business? Like, you know, Fisherman Company of America or of Israel was about to go public. And so, you know, was it, was it worth leaving all the options and the, the trade, you know, all the things that I had in my dad's company? Was that worth it? Was it worth to believe and trust in one person? Like, if you've ever been hurt by anyone, because you're like, man, I really, 
put a lot of belief and trust in that relationship. And it's, you know, you're left feeling like, was that worth it? And so I believe, and I believe in this moment, even in my own life, I'm having these gut checks where I'm like, man, is this worth it? And then if it is, what does peace look like in that pursuit of Jesus is saying, hey, I, Jesus, am worth the pursuit. What does peace look like in that? And I believe that even though we are 2,000 years from him being pushed in that grave and resurrecting out of that grave, like when you think about faith and when you think about life in Christ or when you think about the church, like one of the unique things is that we have the whole picture, right? Like we have the whole picture. Like I just went to a demo on a Bible software that I was thinking about getting and, and they like showed me how to like enter a word and then it brought up like 1500 books and I'm like, what in the world is this sorcery? Like I have all the truth and knowledge and access to all these things and I can read until my eyes cross and bleed and don't open ever again. Like I can read and read and read and study and study and study. But when life happens, there's those moments where it's like, I have the full story and this is still hard. Like I have the full picture of who Jesus is and what he's capable of. And I am wondering if he is worth the pursuit. Because I know that I know that when you walk this earth, it is going to do everything it can to beat the pursuit of Jesus out of your life. It just is. Like there are going to be days where you're recommitting and you're saying, I'm putting it all on Jesus and everything's going to go wrong. And then you're going to think Jesus is broken. But it's actually the enemy is like, hey, it's another gut check. You think you're going all up on Jesus and all in with Jesus? I'm going to make you think that that is not the decision that you need to make. And so when Jesus is leaving these last words, he's, he's wanting to instill peace. But even more than that, he's just wanting them to know like, hey, guys, you followed me for three years. You left your whole life behind. You gave it all up. And I need you to know that I, Jesus, am worth the pursuit. And so he encourages us. In John 14, 1 through 7, here's what he says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I love that first line because he's like, hey, if you have a troubled heart, step one is belief in me. Like if you, if you feel like your heart is troubled and maybe you said yes to Jesus the first day and you, you answered that call in your life and you made that decision and then you're 10 years removed from that decision or five years removed from that decision or 30 years removed from that decision, every day starts with belief in me. Hey, is your heart trouble when you wake up this morning? Start step one, believe in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, then you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him because you have seen me. So Jesus is 
this, this statement that's rung throughout the church for years and years. And if you've ever been in the church, you've heard the statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I need you to know that I am instilling some peace into your life if you want to pursue me and you think I am worth the pursuit. And so when I read this, I'm seeing Jesus encourage us and Jesus extending the promises that the pursuit is worth it. And so one of the first things that I believe that we have to know and we have to remember and we have to trust and we have to believe that Jesus is our way forward. Like Jesus is our way forward. Every time I've heard this verse, I love it because what it is is Jesus painting a picture of what it looks like to have access to the Father. These disciples, they were raised in Judaism, so they had the belief in God. And, you know, that's like the equivalent of being raised in the South. Like, if you pop out in the South, then therefore you are a Christian. Like, sometimes that's how people think it works. It works down here. Like, it's in our drinking water. It's in the salt air. Like, I don't know how they think it works, but sometimes that's how they think it works. And so these guys being raised as Jewish followers in a time of Judaism, like they would have had that knowledge or that background of a belief in God. And Jesus is looking at them and he's like, hey, you thought that the way to God looked like works and it looked like going to synagogue and it looked like holding all 600 plus laws and it looked like this and it looked like that. But Jesus was just reminding them the things that he's been reminding them from the time he's been with them. He's like, hey, the way to the Father is not through what you do, but it's through me and it's through what I do on the cross. And so he's just recentering them and reminding them. And I think sometimes living in Charleston, South Carolina, living in this quote, unquote, holy city, we need that reminder that Jesus is the way to the Father. But I think Jesus is doing something bigger here. I think Jesus is just recentering something bigger. And I, what I think is happening also is that I think a lot of us are on this path of discovery and we're on this path of trying to figure out what life looks like. Like one of the most beautiful things about Bright City is that we have a lot of young people who are wide-eyed and willing to do whatever, whenever, however. And so we see people with these amazing dreams, these amazing hopes in life. And, we, and like I'm always encountering people, which maybe it's kind of why I live my life this way, where I'm reading books constantly and I'm podcasting constantly. I'm trying to figure out the how-tos, like, you know, like everything's about the how-tos. And what I think is happening right now in, in this moment is Jesus is reminding them that it's not about the how-tos, it's about the to whom. And his name is Jesus. And so when we are pursuing these things, when we are pursuing good mental health, when we're pursuing being a whole person, when we're pursuing trying not to live stressed out or overworking or anything that involves our life pursuits, if we're trying to be financially independent, if we're trying to start this big dream or live into this big career, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, Jesus is just refocusing the moment and refocusing the heart. And he's saying, hey, those things are great unless I'm not step one. Like I am the way. And what happens is, is I think that we take those steps into those other things and we kind of take Jesus along the way. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not how it works. If you want peace, I'm not a value meal that you add on to or upsize. I am the step one. I'm not something that you take along with you and just hope that it works out. And, and I just tag along with you and I'm your, you know, what's that? Jesus is my co-pilot. Well, it's like, man, Jesus needs to be actually the pilot. I can't fly a plane. I'm, some of you maybe can't fly a plane. I don't know. 
And Jesus is reminding his disciples that like, hey, whatever happens after this moment, I am the way to the Father, but you need to know that in the chaos, in the stress, in whatever is ahead, I'm still the way. I'm still step one. I'm still your first step and only step to peace. I'm step one and I am step 10. I am the way. Living in America, it's kind of one of these things where we're taught to like diversify our options. And so we start using words like portfolio and all these weird things. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a portfolio. Um, and, and we start to think about diversifying our options. And that is so anti-gospel. It's not funny. The whole gospel message is not about diversification, but unification in Jesus unto the Father. And so we have to remember that if we are wanting to live a life of peace, and we're wanting to have a heart of peace, and we're wanting to know if Jesus is worth the pursuit, step one always has to be only Jesus. And so Jesus is reminding us, he's saying, hey, I need you to know when you came forward in that beautiful church one day and they were playing your songs, maybe it was oceans, and you're like, yeah, I'm ready to step out of the boat. I'm ready, oops, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to do X, Y, and Z. If that's the day, or if you're 10 years down the road and you don't know how you're gonna get up on Monday, you need to know that the same the way, the truth in the life that you said yes to on day one is the same the way that you're gonna say yes to on day 1,000. He is the way. And so when you look at your life and how it's set up, are you set up to diversify so that things don't let you down and one of those things that might let you down being Jesus or is it set up to unify you with Jesus, therefore you with the Father? What does your life look like? Is it a bunch of ways, or is it Jesus and he is the way? And I think if we're ever going to have peace in our life, we have to know and take that step, that first step, step one, where Jesus says, hey, I'm the way. Okay, all right, I said yes to that. Five years down the road, you're thinking about a job. Jesus is saying, hey, I need you to know I'm the way. 10 years down the road, you're thinking about marriage or relationships or family. Hey, I just, that's great, but I need you to know that I am the way. Then you're thinking about doing this crazy thing that involves giving it all up and risking it all. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm your, your, what's the whatever since day one, main one since day one, like something like, like Jesus, May one since day one. Jesus is like, hey, Bay, 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 what? Jesus is like, bay one since day one. What's, what's the next move? What's the next move? So old. Since day one or day 100, he is our number one. And you will not have peace unless he is always that first step. Jesus is the way. And what I love about this statement is I think what's, what's happened and, you know, the world gets a hold of it by way of the enemy. And they're like, oh, whoa, that's really exclusive. You know, like that's, that's, you know, that's a bold statement. Like the way to God is through Jesus. And when I read this, I actually read it as an invitation. Like, hey, I'm step one. Who's ready to step? I'm step one. 20 years down the road, are you still ready to step? Jesus is willing to have anyone step into a relationship with him, therefore, so they can step into a relationship with the Father. He is the way forward, and that is our way 
to peace. Additionally, Jesus says that he is our firm foundation. So he continues on. He says, I am the way. And then he says, I am the truth. I love this. He's reminding them that you're going to hear, like, there's going to be some things happening in the next week, next two weeks. You're going to hear a lot of untrue things. You're going to hear a lot of things that I said maybe about the temple. You're going to hear a lot of things that they're saying about me and the Father. You're going to hear a lot of untrue things, but I need you to know that I am the truth. And that doesn't surprise Jesus because he was there in the garden. He was there in the day one of creation. He was there when the enemy showed up and he was like, hey, I've got a different way. And he starts you know, floating out these, what seems to be true, like, hey, did God say? And we live in a world that wants to make everything in here seem untrue. And Jesus is reminding them, he's like, hey, there's days coming where it's gonna seem like this is untrue, but I need you to know that I am the truth. I am the truth. And when he says this, it always takes me back to something my mom used to always say, and she would, it was so annoying, like, major eye roll. Like I can't even eye roll enough in this moment to capture my eye roll as a high school student. But she always pointed me back to Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7. You're like, oh, my mom too. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes because you spend your days Googling and think you know everything. It says that. It's in the Hebrew. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And then my mind always goes to Proverbs 14, 12, where it says there is a way that appears right to man, but in the end, it is death. And so Jesus here is he's like, hey, there is a truth that is coming, quote, end quote, that is coming from the world, that's coming from someone in your life, that's coming from the enemy. That's coming from Instagram. That's coming from Facebook. That's coming from all these different places. But you need to know that I am the truth. I am the truth. People are going to have dreams for your life. People are going to want to speak into your life. People are going to want to say this about your life. People are going to want to say this about life in general. But you need to always come back to me. Not only am I the way, but I'm also the truth. When you step into a relationship with me, your eyes are open. You receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and it teaches you, it reminds you, it guides you, it points you always back to the heart of the Father. Jesus is saying, I am the truth. When you have your eyes on me, you have your eyes on what is true. And I think, I wonder if we are depending upon too much secondhand truth rather than getting our noses and getting our face in these words. Like, I wonder if we're perusing the how-tos and the podcast and the searches and the news apps or whatever it is, trying to figure out our truth in this time. And Jesus is like, hey, I need you to know that if you want peace, and I need you to know that when things get crazy, because they are gonna get crazy, you're gonna be at a crossroads. You're gonna be at a crossroads. You're gonna be at a crossroads. And I need you to know that I am the truth. Your next step, it's in my word. Your next thought, it's in my word. Your next hope, it's in my word. The thing that you need to get through Monday, it is in here. So my question is, is your life set up to where this is the IV and the blood flow for your life. 
and we cannot depend upon secondhand word anymore. Here is a very bold statement. Here's a very bold statement. I wonder if we have a really, really, really hard time with pastors falling and churches falling because they are our only source to truth. I wonder. And Jesus is like, hey, we're all going to fail. We're all going to go astray. And I need you to know that this is the only anchor you have. And we do our best to hold on to it. We do our best to stay in it. Not because it's a thing to check off, but because if we do not do it, this world will check us into the wall. It just will happen. Jesus is like, hey, days are coming that are going to feel stressful and chaotic and out of control. You're going to hear so many things about me, and they are all untrue. But I need you to know that I am the truth. He is the truth. And so is our lives set up in the truth? Are we standing on the truth? He is our firm foundation. There is no peace in our lives without the word of God. There's just not. Um, just recently, I was talking to someone and I was asking him about discouragement. And I was like, hey, is, is discouragement one of those things that like you just, that are always, it's always on autoplay? Like I was just telling him, I was like, you know, I'm at this place in my life where I wake up and I wake up and the thoughts of discouragement just like hit me. It's like smack in the face. I get up out of bed. I'm not even awake enough to feel anything, notice anything. I have not had enough coffee to do anything in my life. Like I had even taken first like awake breaths and all of a sudden discouragement comes in. And I was like, hey, does this ever go away? And he's like, yeah, 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 it goes away. And I was like, okay, all right, so when, how, what? And he was like, by truth. Like you, you need to get so in the truth that when you wake up, the natural response and reaction to the untruth is the truth. You have to remember something in your mind. You have to put scripture in here that goes on autoplay so that when he comes a knocking, you can fight back with the word of God. You can fight back with truth. And I, I wonder if we're looking for the silver bullet to end discouragement, despair, and defeat. And Jesus is like, hey, it's right here. It's right here. And we tried it and we're like, oh, I tried that and discouragement still came. And Jesus is like, that's my point. Don't let your heart be troubled. Like it's gonna come, but don't let your heart be troubled because I am the way and I am the truth. He is our firm foundation. His word is our truth that we stand on. We don't have to wonder. It's not a weapon to fight culture with. It is a weapon to love our neighbor with and fight the enemy off with. And I think sometimes we confuse that. We think that scripture is meant to beat up our neighbor and like therefore we embrace the enemy. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. The scripture is there to love your neighbor and hit the enemy. And sometimes we get those confused. And lastly, he is our forever. I love how he starts this off. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Kind of the commentaries say that this moment in scripture is like uh, just referencing when someone would get married back in the day. The, the, I, I can't remember if it was the groom or the bride, but somebody would add on to their house so that the married couple could have a place to live with them. 
And so he's like alluding to a wedding. He's alluding to this day where the bride and the groom will enter into this new place that's been prepared for them, like all Chip and Joanne out, like shiplap everywhere. Like that's what he's kind of alluding to right there. And so he's saying like, hey, Jesus is preparing a place for us. He is preparing a place for you. I think oftentimes we get so consumed in trying to figure out how to prepare and make our place better here, and we forget that he is preparing a place for us there. He is our forever. So when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, he's like, hey, I've got your abundant life, and I've got your eternal life. I've got your abundant life here. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be mighty in me, and I've got your forever life when we go there, and I'm preparing a place for you. Did you know or do you know that Jesus is right now preparing a place for you? He's preparing a place for you. How much peace should that produce in your heart if you have faith in Jesus? The very thought that he is up there like chip gains and like knocking out walls and do whatever he needs to do to prepare a place for you in the city and house of God. He's preparing a place of worship. Here's the craziest thing. He is preparing a place where there will be no more pain. How crazy is that? He's preparing a place where there will be no more sickness. He's preparing a place where there will be no more strife. He's preparing a place where there will be full unity. He's preparing a place of worship where we're going to be singing songs. He's preparing a place of community and fellowship with him. He is preparing our place. How much should that bring us peace in this moment? And so when he knows that the world is about to go into chaotic mode, and he knows when the disciples see him on that cross, and when he knows when the disciples see him be put in that grave, they're wondering, like, hey, did this guy who talked about eternal life all the time, when he talked about living forever, like, is, is this a real thing? And so Jesus is like, hey, 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 chill out. I am preparing a place for you. I'm going to the Father, and I am coming back to get you. I think the church has lost the vision of Jesus coming back to get them. Therefore, we're freaking out here because we think this is it. We have to live like Jesus wants to bring heaven here, and then every way that he doesn't bring heaven here, we know that heaven is coming to us when we go there. So do you believe that Jesus is your forever? It is a simple belief to say, I believe in Jesus. Therefore, he is my life now, and he is my life in the future. Jesus wants us to know that the pursuit is worth it because this world is going to talk you out of it. In fact, there's going to be religion that looks like the way of Jesus, and it's going to talk you out of it. There are going to be so many things that want to talk you out of Jesus being worth the pursuit. And Jesus is looking at you and I, and he's saying, hey, I need you to know that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the way forward, I am the firm foundation, and I am your forever way. And that brings peace. He wants us to have lasting peace. That is his promise. That's not my promise to you. That's not like cheer up, XOXO, everything's gonna be great. Just hang in there bless your heart, like anything else we say here, he's saying, hey, I, Jesus, am extending peace to your life, so take heart. These are his last promises to us. Um, the journal pages, 
Like these are the last journal pages that my mom wrote. And so I have them and I probably should, I was thinking on the way over here, like carrying a cup of coffee, like out the door and like water bottle and iPad and like opening the car with my foot and tongue or whatever else. I was like, I should probably make more copies of this. So, but these are, these are like my copies. These are what I have. And like, I just look over them and I just know that these sheets of paper were meant to bring me peace. They were like her final words, like, hey, I need you to know to keep going. I need you to know to keep trying. I need you to know to like, you know, just finish college. I literally, there's the, uh, you know, continue literally desires of your heart, like keep playing basketball and yeah, minister and practice basketball. So I feel like now I need to like take on basketball and pastor at the same time because these are, no, I'm not gonna do that. So lost dreams. But it was just this moment where she's, she's literally writing down like page after page. There's probably like four or five pages here to our family because she was like, hey, I just want you to have peace that I'm going to the Prince of Peace. Like, I just want you to have peace that things are gonna be crazy for a moment, but everything's gonna calm down. And they did. How much more true are the last words of Jesus? How much more peace should that bring in our lives? Hey, I just want you to know that things are gonna feel like that I'm not worth the pursuit. Like everything in this world is gonna make you think that my bride is broken and relationship with Jesus doesn't work. But I need you to know that I am the way, the truth, the life. I am worth the pursuit. And that is Jesus's promise to you from his last words. How amazing is that? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. And most of all, I thank you for your promises. God, that we just pray peace in this moment in the name of Jesus. God, if there are anxious hearts, God, this is a place of prayer. This is a place of healing. Uh, Father, we don't have anywhere else to go but to enter into your peace right now. So in Jesus' name, I just pray that we would enter into your peace. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in to Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.